0: So we as Christians, we are as believers in Christ, we need to see both sides of human experience. We are not like the men of the world, the men and women of the world, where they can see only one dim reality when there is dimness. When there is bright reality, we can't see only brightness. It's I was thinking when I was preparing this sermon, I was thinking of a watch battery a small flat, almost flat batch uh, watch battery or a battery that we use in the microphones here. And it is so flat and on one side it is marked positive on the other side it's marked negative. Now, so when we come to that, that is where I we left off in the preaching of the word last Sunday, it was when we have to realize that when we realize what happens, that's another, that's what I would like to focus on today. When we realize that life is not Christian life or Christian walk with God, the risen Christ is not just one dim reality, when there is, when all the lights are turned off, but a brightness, there is brightness, there is hope in gloom. That's what we, now here we have the passage that we read today morning. It's a passage that brims with hope and enthusiasm. Hope is a mental attitude, isn't it? Enthusiasm, or you can say hope is an emotional fact, the thing that you're hoping for better things. But if that hope gives us enthusiasm, you know, confidence, that's another thing as well. So hope. That instills enthusiasm, that's what we see here in this book. I'll be explaining that in a minute. Wait a minute. So when we realize that adversity is not the totality of the experience, adversity, the flip side is that there is consolation, there is comfort, there is hope, God dealing with us. When we realize that, only when we come to Christ we can know that. If we are not living in Christ, if we are not walking with your son Christ, this doesn't make any sense to us. So when we realize that last week we saw that, when we realize that it gives us immense hope and enthusiasm, that is what this passage is all about. This, this passage all about. That see, think of future. A future where we don't have any hope—it's a very miserable life, isn't it? When you look at the future, you can't see light in the future. You can't see any possibilities in the future. You only see that death and destruction forever. That's all that you see. What type of a future is that? What are think of the gravity, the 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 seriousness of that? I'm a highly empathetic person. That's my weakness. But even when a criminal is hanged, in the past within the last 10, uh, 15 years, we had at least two, three people hanged to death, whom the, the, mm-hmm. the Supreme Court or the, even the president uh, denied them mercy, and they were hanged. And some people rejoiced because he deserves it. That is how people celebrated it. Some people celebrated in the street. But the point is when when all those things happened, I used to empathize with that person. How did he sleep the night before his hanging? How, what was going through his mind when he has woken up before dawn, and told that you are going to walk to the gallows, Or when the court decided that he deserves death punishment, he must be hanged. What type of future was he looking into? When the president denied, turned down his mercy petition, what type of future was he looking to? Have you ever thought of that? Just to take a moment and think about that. But many people, though they don't have a death warrant hanging over their head, they live in a similar manner, that's the reality. They are gloomy, they are dispirited because they, they behave, they walk around as if they, are, they have no hope in this. But here, as I said, this hope, the Christian hope, hope in Christ, is not like that. The Christian hope, this man, the prophet in this book, where it says, I will not keep silent and all that, that is a prophet who prophesies these words. And he look at him the confidence that he has, the the, the the spirit that he shows. First of all, he's very determined. If you have read that passage one more once at least, I'm sorry I did not send this passage beforehand, but we had it now read to us and go through that. He is determined because he can see a future of. Hope. Possibilities. He is hopeful. He is bold. In verse six, first first verse, Isaiah chapter 62, verse 1, the first verse says, For Sion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet. Until... Her righteousness goes forth as brightness. Now, the, the, the prophet says, I will not be silent and I will not be quiet. These two words actually indicate some, the prophet's determination to keep praying. I will not be quiet but I will keep praying in this context. That's what what it says. I will not be silent, but I will will continue to plead to God. I will not be quiet, he says in that verse, because I will be actively, I'll be proactive with that hope in my God, because future is going to be right, it holds great promises for me. I will not be quiet. I will not be sitting quietly, passively. And his determination is evident in that word, a particular word. It says, until. Let me read it again. It says, I will not keep quiet for Jerusalem's sake. I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness until now presently she is going through gloom and destruction and distress but i know i know by faith that that is going to be a day of brightness and brimming with hope until that day happens i will not keep quiet i'll keep praying i'll be confident i'll be i'll continue to work towards that or that work is simply expecting it And that's a determination to continue to pray in hopelessness. For what? It is not simply a praying for a change of the situation. It's a prayer. It's a hope. Prayer with hope. That it's already going to happen. It's an assurance. There's an assurance. And moreover, if you step back one or two verses, back to the chapter 61... With the 62 is a continuation of that. He is ready for celebration. You know, he is not only determined. That determination, he says, is, he's is also ready. Verses 61, verses 10 to 11. Chapter 61, 10 to 11. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. That is where it all starts. My soul shall exult in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. That is, salvation is the deliverance that God is going to do. My soul excels and I am already dressed up with that salvation that God is going to do. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. You can imagine, imagine a man, a person, dressed up for that day, a day of salvation, a day of God's righteousness shining upon his people. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels, for as the earth brings forth its stars, and as a garden causes what is shown to, to, to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. Imagine the whole image. is what a beautiful poem it is. He says, "Here I am, dressed up." Now, he he, see, sometimes I use more than one illustration, though uh, scientifically it is wrong. You see, use only one illustration. But why do you use more than one illustration in a particular point? Someone, because your heart is fuller, you feel that, no, I haven't expressed myself fully, so yet, or my people haven't fully understood what I said. So use another illustration, though it is not scientifically right, it's not good, uh, good practice in public speaking. But here the, the Prophet keep on going, saying he describes that himself who is full of hope, bringing, brimming with that possibility is hope. He says, I am like a bridegroom fully decked, dressed up with expectation, hopefully, a hopeful expectation. Moreover, though he's a male, he says, I am like a bride bride who is put on all her jewels jewelries and ready for that great day and i'm like a priest and then he says no that is not enough to express my that is not sufficiently express my joy and my preparedness so he goes on to say like the earth brings forth its sprouts and as a garden causes what is soon into sprout up so the lord will cause righteousness you know now I don't know how many of you who live in the concrete jungles have an experience of planting seeds in the ground. I had, and I love it. And every time a sprout comes, uh, something comes up, I rejoice. So you put a seed in the soil, which is dry. You water it, and day one nothing happens. Day two nothing happens. Maybe day three, depending on the type of seed that you are sown and the condition of the, the climatic conditions, then you see a small crack in the ground, a small crack. And then the following day, you come and see the crack is widening, it's opening up. And then you see a something, a green something comes out. You know, that's the excitement that we have. You know, first nothing has happened. So you're looking at it every day, you keep watching. And then you see this, then you see out of that comes a new plant, a new possibility. So that's excitement. So he says, you No, know, I am dressed up. I am every day I'm watching. The Lord is going to do something. Now, the spirit may be very, may, it may be very, our spirits get dampened, isn't it? You know, for the last 24 months, we have been looking for the freedom to go out and um, not wearing the mask and uh, to see what the expression on the face of our friends are is very discouraging. You know, I met a man recently, and uh, he was wearing a mask, always he was wearing a mask, and I was also wearing a mask. And one day I watched him eating in the restaurant, (laughs) then I realized that his face is not, uh, face without mask is very different from the face with mask. We haven't still invented a transparent mask so that we can see, and that boy has a beautiful mustache. Now what a difference it is. It makes a huge difference. People who are had a beautiful French beards, they can't dot they, they dot it, but they can't show it. <laughs> so we have, see all these have psychological impact on us, negative impact on us. But we have to keep up the hope that this is going to change. We have to keep up the hope that we can confidently hug our dear friends whom we meet. We can't do it now. We live. So this has very negative effect on us. So the present state, there are two things that he is talking about. One, presently the nation of Israel, Jerusalem is going through destruction, that is what he sees. He sees two realities in his mind. In chapter five, he said that they are desolate, they are abandoned, they are going through shame. Because that's what they deserve. But at the same time, when we come to these chapters, the book of the prophet also prophesies, no, that's only the negative side of the battery. The battery also has another mark saying positive. And that I'm ready for that positive day, that day of God's work. So it has gone through devastation. It is now in ruins. It's a shameful thing. Now, let me give you just one passage, a very poetic uh, expression of that. Verse chapter five, verses five to six. Isaiah chapter five, five to six. And I tell you what I will do to my vineyard that is talking about the city of Jerusalem. I will remove its hedge. I will remove its walls, and it shall be devoured. All the wild animals will come and eat it. it will, I will break down its wall, and it will be trampled down. People will be playing dilly cricket there, and everything that has grown up, sprout, will go. And I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. And I will also command the clouds that they no more rain upon it. Isaiah can see that destruction going to happen. But he is not looking at limited to that. He is also ready, determined, and dressed up for a new reality that God is going to do. What will happen in that day? What will happen when God acts on behalf of them? Changes happen. They said, God will make them, uh, they, are, they live in shame. One day they will be living in shame. But God will change their shame to fame. The second verse in this chapter, Isaiah 62, 2. You will go through, a, We are going through a time of shame. But the day that I am dressed up for... I am ready for that day is a day when your shame will be changed to, turned to fame. As children, I remember those days when we had the parish festival in my little Orthodox village where I grew up. You know, we left night processions, there will be bands and uh, there will be uh, dancers, and there will be decked elephants, and uh, all that will come in a big procession. And we all will be dressed up to greet the procession at our own house doors. So people will be putting on their good, best clothes, and uh, women will be wearing their jewelries, and men will be, and then we will have fireworks and to say how much money we can spend on fireworks. We have uh, the lights that we light, light in the sense the, the fireworks. We light to brighten up and we have that hope of, and far away we can see the light of the procession, the lanterns of the procession. We can hear the sound of the band sets and we can see the, the decked elephants, their, uh, whatever they wear, they're shining in that through the darkness. And we are hopeful and we are expecting the procession to come. And when the procession comes to our doorsteps, we greet them with this. That is, the, that is what happens. Now, when this comes, whatever is shameful will turn to fame. Isaiah 62.2, the same passage. I'm not moving away from this passage. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name. Now, I want you to travel back in time. One day, two centuries after Isaiah prophesied his prophecies. In the 6th century, Isaiah lived in the 8th century. And in 6th century, the Babylonians came. A huge army of Babylonians came. They devastated the land, they destroyed the city, they burned their temple, and people were tied like the pack mackerels, and were like the mackerels on the uh, fish fish market, and they were stacked there. That's what we read in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 52, uh, the last chapter. And they were stacked there, horrible, they were wounded, many people were were killed and the people Babylonians and the Edomites people who assisted them they were laughing at these people why? because these are a defeated people if you you should read the last chapters of the book of Kings 2nd Kings and the book of Jeremiah to get a glimpse of what was going through. the nations laughed at them and the Sennachery prism has very vividly portrayed this scene. People, are there, hands were tied to each other, and they were led in a procession to Babylon. All the way, people on the highway laughed at them, ridiculed them. But here Isaiah says, I, say is, I am decked up. I am dressed up. I am so determined. I am going to pray for that day when the Lord will come for the the deliverance of his people, and the nations will know that is this shame that you are going through, this reproach that the nations are going through, uh, nations are reproaching you with, that's going to turn into a worldwide fame. The shame will be changed into. Shame to fame, and all the kings will see your glory, and you will be given a new name. Shame to fame is what? God has promised you and me. And this also has uh, three dimensions. What are they? First of all, there will be righteousness. What does that mean? That though you are sinners and you are condemned before God, There's another reality, a flip of that reality, flip side of the reality, is that you will be considered before God people who are righteous. That's the first dimension. And then verse 62 1 says there is going to be salvation. That is, you will be secure. You will be secure. You will not fear any threat. You will not fear any adversity. You will be completely. You live in security. Isaiah chapter 62, verse 1, where we began. It says, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet. Until her righteousness shines forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. Before God and before man, they are going to have a new status. And thirdly, they will have a new nature a new character. They'll be known for something else. What is that? He says in the next verse, he says, I'm going to give you a new name. What does a new name mean? Like Abraham, Abraham became Abraham. Like Sarai became Sarah. Or like Jacob becoming Israel. Their destiny was changed. Sarah, Abraham, and Sarai became parents of a of not just one nation, many nations. Israel became the heirs or inheritance of God's promise. Change of name means change of your destiny and our character. Now, two beautiful names are given in the next four, uh, two verses: 62. Verses 4 and 5. Let's read. Isaiah chapter 62, verse 4 and 5. What is the new status that is going to be given to them? You shall no more be called forsaken. And your your land shall no more be turned desolate. Nobody will passing through, any tourist passing through this land will never say, This is the ruins of the old city of Jerusalem. What you see was 60 feet tall in height, but now you see only its foundation. There stood a tower, magnificent tower. They will not be talking about that, saying that. They will not be looking at your destruction anymore. They will not be excavating that. They will not be saying this was in those days 60, 70 feet tall. But, but that is, God is going to rebuild it. The desolation and the shameful thing, the Lord is going to change. It shall be called my delight in her, and your land it will be called married, and the Lord delights in you. The symbol change. There are two Hebrew words, which when uh, Daisy read it, the version that she read from, that version has clearly spelled it out. You are now forsaken, but you are going to be a delightful land. You know what the word for that? Hepzibah. I mean, some of you may have that name. The name Hepzibah means that you are not going to be forsaken, but you are going to be the delight of God. A place where people would like to go. Now, you are a desolate land. But you will be called the land. A beautiful land the married land, in the sense you will be called a beautiful land. This is what happens when God works in our life. Our status changes, our shame changes to fame, there is beauty for the ashes, and there is security, no more fear, there is a new nature. Some people will understand what I'm trying to say. Yeah. See, imagine, let me just give you an image, just a, just a, a, imaginary scenario. Suppose somebody comes to visit you and they don't know where exactly you live. So let me, now let's take an urban situation. They came to a society or nearby society and asked where does Mr. Ox and Mrs. X lives. And uh, so nobody knows exactly where, so one person knows, and he says, oh, that is the society, second society, and in that society, the third floor, second uh, house, or number something like that, he gives a clear direction. But they are confused. Whom are you talking about? So they probably don't know your name. Or to identify you or whoever it is, they may be saying things like, oh, you know that house where, you know, that uh, lady hanged herself. That house. That's a label of the house. A shameful label. You remember those days, the, that fly, flat which was dispossessed, the bank put it in auction because that man lost the job and uh, they didn't have money to pay so they had to leave it and the bank auctioned and then this guy bought it. You remember that house? That is where that lady lives there. So it's a label. A shameful label. A place where That house, that family where someone committed suicide, somebody ran away, somebody is in jail, shame. That's their address. (laughs) They have a shameful address. But when God works in the life of a person and a family and a nation, that shameful labels will be ripped off. And a radiant label, that is, it's bayula. It should be called hepsiba, will be put there. People will forget that shameful things by which you and me are known. Our shame will turn to fame. That's what the prophet is excited about. He's excited about why he is he waiting. Now I can imagine myself uh, as a little boy, along with my little cousins dressed up and waiting with all the lights in our hands, the the fireworks in our hands to greet this procession which is far away. We can only hear the sound of it now. We haven't seen it at all, but we know that sound will come closer to us with that majestic procession of the elephants and the bands and the dancers and a whole lot of lights and things like that. We are waiting for that to turn the turn towards our house on the other side of the road. Now it will take a turn. We'll be able to see it. And then slowly, slowly, they don't rush. They don't go at a very high speed. The procession stops at every house in the street and comes to our house. Then we get a great, that's the enthusiasm that we live with. Christian hope. I'm trying to explain that Christian hope. That Christian hope of expecting that God is going to do something in my life. Yesterday, last Sunday, I was talking about that. Today I'm trying to illustrate it a little further. Not only that, but transmit it. This hope should not be a private hope. The book of Isaiah says in the next following verses that this, we should not be holding it. We should pass it on to others. In 62, the next verse, 62, 6 to 7, he says, On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen. All the day and night they can never be silent. Now, how did the the chapters begin? I will not keep silent. He's an individual, one person. And now he says, brimming with this hope and uh, motivated by these possibilities with God, he says, I I will not keep quiet. I can't sit quiet in one place because God is going to do such a great, amazing thing. I can't be simply sitting quiet here because the Lord is going to do amazing. He's going to change the shame to fame. He's going to change our nature. He's going to change our status before God. And I see that is going to happen. I cannot sit quiet, but I have also done one thing. I am encouraging my brothers and sisters to do the same. What I did, what I was doing will not be quiet. Exactly the same verb is used here. I will not be silent. The same thing is used there. There is a a batch of a group of intercessors. A A group of intercessors. I will pray. I will hope. But moreover that on the walls of Jerusalem, I have appointed intercessants. Disciplined intercessants. Day and night they will be uh, praying, they'll be hoping, they are persistent, they will not give, they will not give any rest to their voice, they'll persistently, in a very disciplined manner, they'll be crying out to God and waiting for him to act. That's what. This double reality helps us to understand. That is, we are living, living between affliction and consolation. That is what the Isaiah the prophet, the Prince Isaiah, I call him, Prince Isaiah. He was a prince. Isaiah ben Amos, that was his full name. He was a prince. He lived in that hope. When he prophesied that Jerusalem will fall one day to the Babylonians when he foresaw that it was 200 years before that event. At the same time when he prophesied that your sins will be the just God will pull you down he also prophesied the same just God will build you up one day. That is the essence of the 66 books of the bible the 66 chapters of the book of isaiah he saw judgment but he also saw restoration he saw afflictions coming but he also saw consolation on the way not very far that's how we process our pains and our afflictions that's how we, we process our adversities. Not as hopeless men and women, but people bringing with hope because the possibilities with our God is never exhausted with what little affliction, little pain, little sickness, little need that we are facing that can never exhaust the power of our God. We have to believe that. Otherwise, we will be people who grow up in darkness, sink into the abyss of depression. If you don't have that hope, we need that hope. That hope which makes us dressed up for that day, determined for that day, and holding, <laughs> waiting for that excitement to happen. When our addresses will be changed, what we are known now among the people, we are a reproach among the nations. I say, I would say. But now you are going to have a reputation of people who have received God's mercy. The shameful labels will be ripped off and a new label will be pasted that glows even in darkness. That's what God is going to do with us. Are we ready to join that reality of God? Some of us in the distance From us to that reality may be different, but we have to, especially in these days of COVID. I feel so distressed sometimes, not depressed, distressed at the suffering that people go through. Sometimes when I see people on the street who tell me that they don't have a job, when I see people who have no income to live because they can't make money, they can earn their, uh, their living as they used to do before COVID. Many shops in this building are closed down because they don't have customers. At least in the just down the floor, at least three shops have gone out of business. One shop in third floor is out of business. In this same building there, we sit and worship the Lord in security, with confidence, having all our needs met met and we have more. There are many, many people within just 100 feet radius. I'm not talking about thousands of kilometers away, just 100 feet radius who go through distress. And God calls us to be watchmen in resources. For what? God, speed up that. Expedite what you are going to do for your people. A bright post-COVID world. That's your job and my job. But for that we have immense hope in God. This is not the end of the story. But God is going to turn the, one more, the belief, the, the page. And on the other side of the page is a big, great story. We need to believe it. And believing that, we need to pray for this world. Praise be to God. That is the charge for us from the risen Lord this morning. And his name be glorified. Amen. Praise God. Shall we just spend a moment in silent prayer?